There are a lot of great men in the Old Testament. As you read the Old Testament, you read of a story of a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel. You read the story of Moses, the great lawgiver, the one who set his people free from the land of Egypt and from their slavery. And then you read of a man by the name of David, the second king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. David could pr probably be said to be the most popular man in the Old Testament. Why do we say that? Because more is said about David than any other person in the Old Testament. He's spoken of 600 times in the Old Testament and 60 times in the New Testament. He truly was a great man. But there's recorded in, in, in the scriptures things about David that's not spoken of any other man in the Bible. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, whenever Samuel is telling King Saul that the nation's being taken from him, this is what he says, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart. David was described as a man after his own heart. Then Paul, speaking in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13, verse 22, quotes this. He says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He would do everything I want him to do. David was a man after God's own heart. And that does not mean that David was perfect. That doesn't mean that David was ideal. It doesn't mean that David did everything exactly right. As we would discover, David was a flawed individual. He made lots of mistakes. He had lots of errors in a life. So he wasn't perfect. But more than anything else, David loved God and he loved the things of God. And God saw that in him. So for the next several months, we're going to be looking at the life of David. Uh, God, uh, we're going to be looking at it in the heading, developing a heart for God, because that's what God wants us to have. More than anything else, God wants us to have a heart for him, and he wants us to have a heart for the things of God. So if we're going to do that, why not look at a man who's a man after God's own heart? Why don't we look at the life of David and see what we can glean from his life that will apply to us in this day and age in which we live? And I think one of the reasons we, we enjoy looking at the life of David, because we see ourselves in him. You know, in David, we see all of our hopes and we see all of our fears. In David, we see all of our victories, and we see all of our defeats. In David, we, we get a picture of ourselves. The problems that David experienced, they're the problems that we experience today. And the solutions that David found to his problems are the same solutions that we can find to our problems as well. So we're gonna be looking at the life of David. If you're going to develop a heart for God, you've got to have a beginning point. You've got to have a place to start. So open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Now, I have all the, all the scriptures on the screen for you, but you know me. I like you to have your Bibles open because sometimes I like you to underline. I like you to highlight. I like you to circle. I like you to call things to reference so you can remember it at a future date. We're going to look at 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13, under the heading, Have the Right Beginning. God's Word says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. 
The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then has Shema passed by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They are still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went down to Ramah to have the right beginning. First, you need to realize that you are appointed in God's plan you are appointed in God's plan. The main character in this story is not Samuel, it's not Saul, it's not even David. The main character in this story is God himself. God is the one that is the emphasis in this passage. And God is working to bring about the circumstances of David's life so that he will be appointed to the plan that God has for his life. Now, when this, was, when this was happening in, in Samuel 16, Samuel is an old man. Samuel has lived a long life, and, and he's worried. Uh, he, he's, 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 he's concerned, but he's more than that, he, he's grieving because he had just told King Saul that he would no longer be king over Israel. Samuel loved Saul. He appointed Saul as the king. He anointed him as the king. He loved Saul. But God had ripped the kingdom from King Saul, and he, so Samuel knew that Saul would no longer be the king. So he was grieving. He was moping. And so God comes along and he basically tells to Samuel, he goes, hey, how long are you going to uh, start moping, continue moping? He said, quit moping and get the moving. I have something for you to do. I have a task for you to perform. And, and he tells him, he says, I want you to go and anoint somebody as a king. So Samuel's worried. He's worried about this because Saul will get suspicious. You know, once Saul knew that the kingdom would no longer be his, he's going to send his spies to keep an eye on Samuel. And if Samuel made any movements out of his normal thing, it would be reported back to Saul, and then Saul would come and kill the prophet Samuel. So, so he's a little worried. And so, so he said, how can I go? In verse 2, how can I go? Saul will hear about it. And 
He'll kill me. So, so, so God says to him, he says, hey, take a heifer and go and have a worship service is what we'll do. You know, consecrate it. It'll be a worship service. And when you're there, invite the people uh, the, the, the uh, people of Jesse, the people of Bethlehem, but invite the family of Jesse to come there. So it says that he went. Verse 4, it says, when he arrived, the elders of the town trembled. Why would they be afraid to see Samuel? See, Samuel was not only a prophet, he was also the last judge in the land of Israel. And so as judge, he goes from town to town and he renders judgment upon those who've done something bad. So the people of Bethlehem saying, oh my goodness, the judge is here. It's kind of like when the pastor visits your house. I told you this before, the pastor visits your house for three reasons. You're dead, you're dying, or you're in trouble. All right? So, so here it is. So Samuel has visited town, and, and they're saying, well, nobody's dead. Nobody's dying. We must be in trouble. Maybe somebody killed somebody, and Samuel's here to render a verdict. Or maybe somebody's been disobedient, and Samuel's here to offer correction. So what do they ask him? They ask him, do you come in peace? Do you come in peace? Samuel looks at them, and, and he says, yes, I come in peace. He says, now consecrate yourselves. Get ready. We're going to have a worship service. And by the way, get the family of Jesse and tell them to bring him and all of his sons because they're going to have a part in this worship service. And what, so what's going on in this situation? Samuel is arranging the earthly circumstances because God is going to appoint a new leader. God's already told Samuel He's going to appoint somebody from the house of Jesse to be the next king of Israel. So Jesse begins parading his sons in front of Samuel. He brings the oldest, Eliab, and he parades him. And he says, you know, and Samuel's impressed. He goes, man, this is a good-looking guy. He's tall. Surely, surely this is the man that God wants to appoint as king. And God says, nope. It's not him. And then he teaches a valuable lesson. He says, Samuel, quit looking at the outward appearance of the man. God doesn't look at things that way. God doesn't look at their stature. He doesn't look at their features. God looks at what's on the inside. He looks at the heart of the man. Jesse prays his next son. God said, nope, it's not him. He finally prays his third son. It's not him. And the thing is interesting, if you look at the passage, it says that Jesse had seven sons and all of them paraded before Samuel, but only three of them are mentioned. How would you like to be the son not mentioned? Yeah, you're not even recorded in Scripture. It could be worse. You could be David. David wasn't even invited to the worship service. He was, he was gone. And so Samuel sees all this taking place. And he's wondering what's going on. See, we, we have a tendency in our, in our culture to evaluate people by their appearance, by their stature, by their wealth. And we think that's what we need to be doing. That's the person we need to be calling. But God doesn't evaluate that way. God looks at the heart. He looks at the inside. And the question you need to ask yourself today, do you have a heart for God? Do you have a heart for the things of God? So Jesse brings all of his sons before Samuel, but God's not chosen them. So Samuel's puzzled. He said, I don't know what's going on here, God. You told me you were going to appoint a, king, a son from the, from the family of Jesse, and I don't see anyone. So he says, I'm confused. So he asked the question in verse 11. He asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? I mean, he's seen seven of them. None of them was it. Something's going on here. 
And so Jesse answered him. He said, well, they're still the youngest, but he's tending the sheep. You almost get the impression that David didn't amount to much. You know, he wasn't even important enough to invite to the service. You know, well, he's the youngest, but you know, he's out tending the sheep. What can you do with him? And then I, I love what, what, what Samuel says. He says, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. I love that. They were in a worship service. Do not sit down. He arrives. It must have been a contemporary worship service. Uh, they, they, they had to stand, and so you can imagine, I can imagine, go get that guy so we can sit down, would you? So they go and get him. They bring him in there. That's what verse 11 says. He said, send for him. David's own father must not have thought much of David to not have him there. Probably about this time, David's probably 16, uh, maybe a little younger, maybe a little, but around 16, he's kind of the, the runt of the family. He, he's the baby of the family. And everybody knows, you know, well, I'm not going to go there. Uh, you know, everybody knows how good the baby of the family is. Right, Abby? Uh, I'm the baby. How many babies of the family we got? Yeah, we, we know we're special, right? You know, you know why we know we're special? Because once you've had perfection, you don't need to make any more. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Maybe. Uh, so he's the run of the family. And so they, they call, call him in there. And you got God, you know, Samuel realizes that God's about to do something unusual. You know, sometimes you and I get this idea that God has forgotten us. He's not really going to use us. He doesn't really have a purpose. He, he doesn't really have a plan for us. But I want you to know something, my friends. Before you were born, before you were even a twinkle in your mother's eye, God had a plan for you. God had a purpose for you. God created you for a reason. God devised a plan for your life, and he's working out the circumstances of your life in such a way that one day you will fall right into the groove of God's plan for your life. That's the way God is designing it. So if you want to develop a heart for God, first, realize that you are appointed in God's plan. Second, Realize that you are anointed by God's presence. I imagine that David's day started like any other day. He had no idea that he was going to be appointed king. He had no idea he was going to be participating in this. And I'm sure we often feel the same way. You, know, you never know when God might choose you. You never know when God might call you. You never know when God might pull you out and say, I've got a special task for you. Who knows what was going through David's mind? We get nowhere in Scripture does it ever say that David was in his prayer closet praying, Oh God, make me king of Israel. Oh God, let me be king of Israel. You don't see that anywhere in Scripture. All we know about David is he's a man after God's own heart. That's all we know about him. Verse 12. David comes in. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy. That means he's a redhead means he's redheaded. So you redheads, take a, take a special notice of that. He's with a fine appearance and handsome features. That's the description of David. But God had just said that, hey, we don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the inward appearance. But here he's describing David as a fine appearance and he's a handsome guy. He's a redhead. Here's the point you need to make. Your physical characteristics do not qualify you for God's kingdom, and they do not disqualify you in God's kingdom. 
It's, it's, it's not a, an advantage over anyone else. It just does not matter. It's not a factor. We think that God only calls people that have a great personality. We think that God only uh, appoints people that are good looking or people that work well with other people. But the real qualifications of a person that, that, that God is calling is, are they, do they have a strong love for God and do they have a love for the things of God? That's what God's looking for. That's what he wants. It's in verse 12. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. The minute he walks in the room, God tells Samuel, he's the one. Hey, Samuel, that's the guy. That's the one I want you to anoint. Can you imagine what his family was thinking? Here's the youngest son, the least prominent in the family, but God's chosen him. God says, I'm going to use him. He's going to fulfill my purpose. You see, God knew something about David that maybe even David did not know. God knew that David had a heart for God and the things of God. And it's almost like when, whenever David walks into the room, God reaches over and puts his arm around Samuel and says, Samuel, Samuel, that's the guy. That's the one. Anoint him. You see, God told Samuel before he ever told David about that. And sometimes that's the way God works. I remember when I was a young, a young adult, we had to take a group of kids to a mission, to, no, to a mission trip to a youth camp in Falls Creek, Oklahoma. When we came back on a Sunday night, we were having an, what they called an afterglow, where all the students would stand up and talk about what camp meant to them and, you know, how much God changed their life and all that. It was just a, a great time. And we wrapped it all up. I spoke for about five, six minutes, just kind of wrapped it up and walked them through what we did and how God shaped our lives. And then at the end of the service, all the parents and all the adults came by and hugged all the kids. Oh, that was so wonderful. I was so blessed. I'm so glad. And then one lady came to me. Her name was Leota Smith. I'll never forget Leota. She was the, the wife of the youth director, not the youth pastor, but the youth director. And she came up to me like this, and then she stuck her finger in my face. And she said, you know what you need to be doing, don't you? And I kind of, yes, ma'am. What she was saying, Bruce, you surrendered to preach when you were a teenager and you ran from God, you know what you need to be doing. And from that moment on, I began the process of pursuing that calling that God had placed in my life. But you see, God told Leota Smith, or affirmed in Leota Smith, what I needed to be doing long before I got, I got the sense of, see, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of one of those guys that God has to hit me with a two by four. Uh, don't go out and get any, by the way. Uh, that's a metaphor, okay? Uh, I, I, he kind of hit, hit me hard for me to grasp it. It was the same way. It's kind of the same way with David. God whispered to Samuel, Samuel, he's the one. He's the one that I've appointed. I want you to anoint that individual. Isn't it amazing how God puts his hands on people? He chooses the most unlikely people. Sometimes he chooses the runt in the family. No one thought David would amount to anything. No one even considered David as a possible candidate, but yet God chose him. In verse 13 it says, So Samuel took the horn of all and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Now stop and think about the ramifications of that. Here's the youngest 
son, the youngest brother, who's probably always picked on by the older brothers, because that's what you do with the baby. You pick on them. You give them a hard time. And they anoint him in the presence of his older brothers, in the presence of his fathers. This is the one I've chosen. I did not choose you. I chose this one. I selected this one. Why? Because he has a heart for God. And he has a heart for the things of God. And here's the thing I want you to grasp. He anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Here's the thing I don't want you to, to miss. Those whom God appoints, God anoints. If God appoints you to a task, he's going to anoint you for the task. God will do that. He did that for David. If God gives you a job to do, he's going to give you the ability. He's going to give you the power to do it. When you see this idea of uh, the anointing of the oil, don't, don't think there's any magical formula in that. It's always symbolic of the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the task. He anointed the oil, and immediately the Holy Spirit came upon David. And from that day forward, he began working in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's trying to get us to understand. The Holy Spirit will anoint you. The Holy Spirit will equip you for the job that God has given you to do. If God wants you to do it, he's going to anoint you to do it. He's going to give his spirit to do it. I'm not talking about, we have the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's just that power that God enables you to have through the Holy Spirit. He will give a special touch for that task. He will enable you to fulfill the task he has for you. So you got to realize that you're appointed to God's plan. You got to realize that you are north of God's presence. Finally, you got to realize that you're available to serve God. Now, David's been told you're going to be the next king of Israel. What do you think David did? You think David went down to the local tailor and, and got himself custom made for royal robes? Maybe he went to the, the local crown shop and said, hey, I need a crown. I would like 10 jewels in it. I'd like it to look good. I want it fit my head. Did you do that? Or maybe my favorite. He got little calling cards printed up. David, future king of Israel. No, he didn't get any of that. What did he do? We find out where he's at in verse 19. It says in verse 19, when they needed to find him, he was with the sheep. He went right back to doing exactly what God had called him to do. He went right back to the sheep. He went right back to the job that God had given him, given him in the first place. There's no miracles that occurred. There's no sounds in, 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 in the sky of trumpets blaring. As soon as David was anointed as king, there was no red carpet rolled out uh, for David. He was told, God has a special plan for you, David. You will be the king one of these days. But he went right back to the task that he had before he was anointed. Why is that? Because God needs to teach David some things. He needs to prepare David's heart. He needs to prepare him to learn some things. So while he's tending the sheep, God is going to teach things to David to prepare him to be the king. But he had to wait. He had to wait till God brought that about. So David's busy, busy tending the sheep. And a need arises in the country of Israel. We pick up the story in verse 14 through 17. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. 
Saul's attendants said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to, to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. So this is the situation. This is what's going on. It's one of the saddest parts of the Bible. Here's King Saul who had everything given to him. He, he was made king over Israel, the first king in Israel. God, God laid his hand of approval upon him. And Saul could have accomplished great things. But Saul became disobedient several times. And he began to go a different way instead of the way that God wanted him to do. So God said, I'm going to take the kingdom from you. So God took the kingdom from him. He removed his Holy Spirit of his presence from him. And he allowed a demon, he allowed a, an, an evil spirit to torment him. And the only way they could find any way to soothe him was they needed to find somebody that, that was good musically. So they said, find somebody that can play the harp. Locate an individual that can play the harp. That's what it says in verse 16. Search for someone who can play the harp. So they looked. Who do you think they found? <laughs> they found a young man by the name of David. Now, we don't know how much time has happened between these episodes. Probably David is in his late teens, early 20s when this happens. But they find him, verse 18 begins to describe him. I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man. I mean, look at the way they describe this guy. You know, he's, he's there working, working the sheep. They say, he's musical. He has military ability. He's, he's a good leader. He's a good speaker. He's a good-looking guy. You know what all the girls are going, oh, be still, my beating heart. I mean, this guy, I mean, he's a 10 out of 10. This guy is excellent. I know God said he doesn't look at the, outside, the outward characteristics. That's just a full package. It doesn't matter what he looks like. It doesn't matter his musical ability, his military matter. What matters is the next phrase. And the Lord is with him. That's the key to understanding David. If I was you and I was taking notes right now, I would underline that passage. I would highlight it. I would circle it. I wrote out beside my Bible, the key to David. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Listen, that's what matters. Whatever you may have, the thing that really matters is that the Lord is with you. Let me ask the question, is the Lord with you? Do you love the Lord and do you love the things of the Lord? Here's a man who's appointed to be king. He knows it. And his first Job. His first assignment is to be associated with a backslidden king. David is faithful. As we go through the life of David, David never one time goes against Saul. He never tries to overthrow Saul and his kingdom. He never tries to take matters into his own hand. He faithfully serves Saul because that's where God placed him. And that's the thing that's interesting. David knew. David knew he was going to be the king. 
He knew that God had appointed him. He knew that God had anointed him. But he did not think it was above his task to do something menial as play the harp for a backslidden king. I remember years ago when I was going to seminary, God had called me to the ministry. I didn't exactly know what that was. I kind of had an inkling of what I thought it might be, but I didn't know for sure. So I began looking for ministry positions, and you know, I found there's a youth position open at a church right across the highway from Southwestern Seminary. And so I went and interviewed the church. I talked to the pastor there, looked over the facilities, and it was uh, an older church in a, in, a, in a changing community, much like Western Heights in many ways. Um, I went there, and they were going to give me $25 a week. I'll never forget the salary, uh, $25 a week. And, you know, I was basically going to teach the, teach the kids. And, uh, but they didn't have a nursery for my daughters. And so I said, you know, this is not going to work for me. I got two little girls. You know, I got to have somebody watch my kids while I'm here. And so it did not work out. But I'll never forget what the pastor told me. This is a paraphrase, pretty close. He said, I'm worried about the future of our churches. He said, we have all these students that would rather go and sit in their large Sunday school classrooms than come over here and help a struggling church do ministry. He said, I'm worried about the future of our churches. That stuck with me. You know, and it may have been the only reason God sent me to that little church was because he wanted me to hear that. And it has stuck with me from, from all that time. We need to realize, my friends, that those who God appoints, He anoints, and we have to be available to serve God in whatever capacity that might be. Too many churches today are stagnant and dying. They're stagnant and dying because there's not enough people that are willing to work. There's not enough people that are available. I always say, you know what God really wants? He wants fat Christians. F-A-T, fat Faithful, available, and teachable. If you'll be fat for God, He will use you. Whatever that might be. That might be cleaning toilets. It might be working with snotty-nosed little babies down in the nursery. It might be working with snotty-nosed teenagers. Oh, I'm sorry. It might be working with teenagers. It might be serving on a mission trip. It might be working at a vacation Bible school. It might be visiting the, the shut-ins. It might be visiting the nursing homes. It might be witnessing to your neighbor. Whatever. But too many churches are stagnant and dying because too many people won't be available to God. Nowhere, nowhere in the Scripture do we ever see David praying for a certain opportunity. We never see David say, Oh, Lord, make me leader of an army. Oh, God, could you just raise me up to be a captain? Lord, could you raise me up to be the personal bodyguard for Saul? He never prays that. He said, whatever. The Lord called him to be a harpist. In a symphony of one. And he had to do that with a man who was no longer following God. What we see is David's available. We need the same attitude in our churches today. We need people that are available. God has really been working on me through these series of sermons. He worked on me, especially on the one we're going to do next week, is overcome your giants. Um, but really, even this one, Especially when I made that statement, those who God appoints, God anoints. It's my heart's desire for each one of you as your pastor. 
I want each one of you individually to grow in your relationship of Jesus Christ. I can't make you grow. All I can do is create an opportunity for you to grow. But I want us as a church corporately to grow into the body of Christ. I want us to use our, our, our talents collectively and be available to God to use us however he wants to use us in this city, in this place where he's left us. Guys, we're not here by an accident. You know, Waco wasn't even on my radar when God called me to come to Waco, Texas. But we're not here by accident. There's a reason we're here. You have a, God has a purpose. God has a plan. And so I determined as a pastor, I'm going to work with the people. I'm going to try my best to motivate you and inspire you and encourage you and give you opportunities to serve the Lord. But listen, listen, if you don't want to serve, and listen, if you don't want to be a part of that, I'm still going to love you, but I'm going to work with those that want to serve. And I'm going to work with them, and we're going to move forward, and we're going to make decisions for the kingdom of God, not for the kingdom of man. But I want you to know God has a place. God has a purpose. Those he appoints, he anoints, but we have to be available for him. If we are going to develop a heart for God, then we got to start the right way. we got to start off right. we got to have the right beginning. Do you realize that God has appointed you? The minute you were called to be a follower of Jesus Christ, God appointed you on mission with him. It wasn't a, a choice. He said, okay, I'm going to call you to be my follower. Oh, but you don't have to do anything. No, he's called you to be on mission with him. The minute you were saved, the minute you said, I confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. Don't forget that phrase, Lord. You didn't just confess him as your Savior. You confessed him as Lord. And when you confess him as Lord, it means that you don't have any plans. All your plans are dictated by God and God alone. He said, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to follow you. The minute you do that, so God has a plan. God has a purpose for you. He appoints you. He anoints you. Now you've got to be available to serve God. In a moment, we're going to have a time of, of invitation, a time when you respond to what you've heard. I don't know how God is, is speaking to your heart as the praise team comes on up. I don't know how God is speaking to your heart. I can't tell you what God has said to you. All I can tell you is what God's Word says. Just like God can use David, He might use you. No, he will use you. Do you have a heart for God? Do you have a heart for the things of God? Because that's what it's going to take to develop a heart for God. So we're going to pray. I'll be here at the front. Kip will come up. He'll be here. Maybe you want to pray with somebody. You just want to get some counsel. You just want to talk. We'll be here for you. Maybe somebody wants to say, hey, how do I get in, get in on this God thing? We'll tell you how to do that. Whatever decision God would lead you to make, we want to invite you to come. As we stand together, I'm going to lead us in prayer.